Someone has once said, if you learn to put first things first, you'll get the second things thrown in. But if you focus on the second things of life, you'll end up missing both. Or like one employer said, the two most important things to get people to do is, first of all, think about what needs to be done. Secondly, try to put things in order of their importance to do. Keeping first things first must be the compass of each new job, each new challenge we may face, and of course, each new year. Today, I want to turn or return to that compass and check out our progress before we get busy again in life in this new year and we say no time. No time for study to meditate and pray and yet much time for doing in a fleshly, worldly way. No time for things eternal but much for things of earth. The things important set aside for things of little worth. Some things, tis true, are needful but first things must come first. And what displeases God's own word of God, it shall be cursed. What better way to prepare for and help sustain all of your New Year's resolutions than by setting our compass on the first things of God's word as we approach this new year. And always due north on the compass is that we would first honor the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. To honor is to make heavy, full, overflowing like Santa's sack on Christmas Eve, if you will. It's filled to overflowing. Honor is fullness of joy. It is abundant life. It is more than we could even think to ask. It is the overflow of a life well lived. You cannot hold anything back. You cannot seek to lighten your load. You can't hope to do less in this new year and somehow honor the Lord. We must serve the Lord from the overflow. Now, most Christians recognize that their body and spirit belong to the Lord, right? We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, because why? They belong to the Lord. And then somehow we make the mistake of thinking that the rest of the stuff of life is mine to do with as I please. After all, I work hard for it. I've earned it. It's mine. I can do with it as I please. Such a view is foolishness, according to Luke chapter 12, where he says it is foolish to lay up or to heap or to gather for ourselves to an overflowing treasure and not be rich toward God. Our substance becomes something of substantial when we first honor God. Only God can take the stuff of my life and accomplish something eternal. First of all, honor the Lord with your substance, but that's just the beginning. As if, if we try to live like as little as possible, then your goal, you've already missed the point, and you're surely to miss the blessing in this new year. Notice that according to our verse, Proverbs 3, 9, that we give of the increase or the overflow. I can guarantee by personal experience 
also from the testimony of many others and the word of God, that if you first spend and then consider what can I give to God, you will never have enough. But if you'll first honor the Lord, it shall be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for with the same measure that you meet or give or attend to the needs of the Lord, the same measure will be given to you again. When determining how much to give, I know everybody always asks an amount. I, you know, you can go with 10%, whatever, whatever number you can come to. One fellow said, well, I draw a circle on the ground. I throw all my money up in the air. Whatever lands inside the circle, I believe that's what belongs to God. Another fellow thought for a moment. He said, well, he said, I draw a circle and I stand in the circle. And he says, everything I throw up in the air, whatever lands inside the circle, that's mine. And anything that's outside the circle, I'll give that to God. One fellow thought for a moment. He said, you're both wrong. He said, I don't draw a circle or anything silly like that. He said, I throw all my money up in the Lord, or up in the air. And he says, I figure whatever the Lord wants, he can take. And everything else that falls to the ground is mine. <laughs> Missing the point. The needs of the Lord's work and the church will continue to be met so long as we first honor the Lord with the increase of our substance in this coming new year and not from the leftovers. Well, then the next one I found is that we must first seek God's kingdom. Now I'm in the book of Matthew. And again, I have two or three different references there. But Matthew chapter 6 and verse 32. Again, verse 33 will probably sound familiar. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. So the people of the world, they seek after these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things, what things? What's the things that he just said that the Gentiles, the world at large, seek after? All these things will be cared for. God knows what we need, and he gives us all things necessary to accomplish his purpose if we would just first seek his kingdom so we get ahead when we get behind the work of God and we get behind when we get ahead of what God is trying to do it's the most often repeated phrase by our Lord while he was here on earth for whosoever will save his life will lose it and whosoever will give his life for my sake some add and for the gospel, the same will save it. And then Jesus added this penetrating question, for what is a man profited if he would gain the whole world and yet lose his, his soul, his own soul? One of the greatest merchants of a century ago is John Wanamaker. You know the name because he was a Philadelphia businessman. He also served as Postmaster General of the United States. And what you may not know, that in the midst of everything else he was doing, he was also superintendent of what they then called the world's largest Sunday school. Now, you got to remember it was a time when kids, not every kid, not every child went to school. 
and learn to read and write. So Sunday school was exactly that. They learned to read and write on Sundays in Sunday school using the Word of God and Scripture memory. And so it was asked of John Wanamaker, how do you find time to run a great Sunday school with the tremendous obligations of your life? And he responded, oh, the Sunday school is my business. Everything else is just that. He continued, 55 years ago, I decided that God's promise was sure. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You cannot live first in pursuit of all the things of the world without sacrificing some of the things of God and his kingdom. You know it to be true. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters because he'll either hate the one and love the other or else he'll cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot. There's no gray area in that. You cannot serve or maximize two worlds, both God and mammon, the stuff of this world and the stuff of God. One will be sacrificed in pursuit of the other. Things that add to the kingdom of God must be first or you will end up despising both, which is to say neither will satisfy and you'll end up saying things like, life's not fair. Or God hasn't done anything for me. Or why hasn't God showed up in my circumstance? Has something sucked the joy out of your life? Be careful that you don't abandon God while seeking for personal pleasure. Well, do you want to know what is the single greatest hindrance to happiness in this new year? That sounds pretty significant, doesn't it? What's the single greatest hindrance to happiness? And we'll put it in the context of this new year. Well, if you've ever thought, I'm glad you asked, Matthew chapter 5. Now, we're in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. <clears throat> <clears throat> Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother has aught against thee. So you remember that somebody, you got some issue with somebody. Leave your gift there. Now notice he doesn't say, take your gift with you. He says, leave it there before the altar. And then you go your way and first, first be what? Reconciled, made right with your brother. It's a brother or sister in Christ. And then you come and offer your gift. First, be reconciled. To your brother. Psychologists agree that the strongest link to happiness is simply a willingness to forgive. Men and women are not at peace in their own spirit because they're not at peace with God. And my friend, you simply cannot make peace with God while you're holding a grudge against someone else. Now listen to me. In fact, if you try to make peace with God while you're holding a grudge against someone else, as Scripture says, who's made after the image of God, so if I'm holding a grudge against someone else who's just like me, made after the image of God, it's not only hypocritical, according to James, but according to Matthew and verse or chapter 6, in the same context of this sermon, in verse 15, Jesus said, 
if you're not willing to forgive, you know the phrase? Then neither will your Father, who is in heaven, forgive you. That's pretty strong. First things have to be first, or nothing else matters. How many days, or perhaps weeks, or maybe just a few hours into the new year before something or someone will steal the joy in your life and bitterness returns. Blaming it on someone else, blaming it on something else, even if it's legitimate and everybody can see what's going on or what they did and you know the whole story that goes with it. Even if it's true, for you to enter into a new year and still holding that grudge against that person who's made after the image of God, you're doing to them what God is not doing to you. You've been forgiven. And yet you're now going to say, but I will not forgive them. Therefore, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you Ephesians 4:31 well <clears throat> sometimes we don't think we can or necessarily even should forgive because we are blinded by our own faults. So I'm still in that great sermon, Matthew chapter 7. Look at verses, I'll read the first few verses. First, cast out your own faults. Chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, because with whatever judgment you judge, you'll be judged. And with whatever measure you meet, however you meet the circumstance, it's going to be measured back to you again. And then this bizarre contrast. Why beholdest thou the moat? This is a telephone pole. This is a floor joist. Okay, this is something big. Why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye? And considerest not the, oh, I got them backwards, sorry about that. And considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull the splinter out of your eye, and behold, a beam, a telephone pole, is in your own eye. Now, the absurdity of this. Now, I know if you, if you have bifocals, you know, you're already doing this thing to try to see something that's up close to you, right? But imagine the absurdity of having, and again, it's just a telephone pole sticking out of your eye. I mean, just the comical nature of, the, of that look, all right? But you've got something huge sticking out of your eye while you're trying to pull the splinter out of somebody's finger. It's not only impossible, it's hypocritical, it's foolish. But that's how sometimes we do, trying to hold someone else to a standard that I myself am not willing or not able to keep. 
That's why these exaggerated terms are used. So if you read again the verse and consider the absurdity of walking around with something huge sticking out of your own eye while trying to remove the little something out of someone else's eye, and then you go back to the reality of understanding your own faults, and then maybe next time when you see the faults of other people, and it's undeniable. I mean, not only are you not perfect, I know they're not perfect. So it's undeniable. But the next time you see the faults in someone else, maybe you'll be or not be so quick to judge someone else because of the humility of your own faults. Maybe treat people a little differently, especially in the context here, brothers and sisters in Christ. How many times has somebody knocked on my door, said, Pastor, I never thought I'd be treated like that in the church. Well, in order to do ministry, to work with people, to serve people, we first have to do a little housekeeping of our own. In order to be of help to others, we have to first recognize the humility of our own failures. Most religions ask you to do good in order to offset the bad. We do good because we've received such grace from God. Just remember that the grace you have received from God does not now qualify you to be judge and jury in someone else's life. Well, first, cast out your own faults, and now I'm going to take you to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. Related to it. First, judge yourself. 1 Peter 4.17 Because the time is going to come that judgment will begin. And where is it going to begin? At the house of God. Not your neighbor's house. Not that other person that did you so dirty. It begins with us. And if it begins with us, then what will be the end of them that obey not the gospel? So, if we're going to be held to a higher standard, what's going to be the end of those who do not believe the gospel? Those who are to lead or to minister or somehow express the gospel will always be held to a higher standard. Your family is going to do this. Your friends are going to do this. I remember a time, I can remember, it was at, it was at Chai, it was at the middle school. I remember where I was standing. I don't know if the hall still exists today. I remember the locker I was at. I remember the circumstance. I remember how it all happened. And I remember, most of all, the look in my teacher's eye when he looked at me and said, Jimmy, I thought better of you. Wait a minute. What they just said? What all those other kids were doing? Wait a minute. And now you're going to hold me? Yeah. That's what the world's going to do. First, judge yourself before you would pretend to be the judge in someone else's life. And those that declare themselves to be a Christian are first judged. You may think that's not fair. I mean, you know, I was thinking about all those other kids, and you can think about whatever other circumstance. You may say it's not fair, but make no mistake about it that we Christians will be the first to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I know it's different than the great white throne judgment. 
But it is God, it is his throne, and we will be the first to stand before it, that we may receive the things done in our body according to what we have done, whether it be good or bad, 2 Corinthians 5. And according to 1 Corinthians 11, if we Christians don't first judge ourselves, then we are sure to be chastened of the Lord so that we would not be caught up and condemned with the world. But our goal is not just to avoid judgment by doing good. Our goal is that in my obedience to the word of God, the gospel might be able to go out. For example, how many of you, when you're driving along, and you're not paying a lot of attention, maybe you've got it on cruise, I don't know, but you see a cop up ahead, what's the first thing you do? Right? Because you don't want to get caught. You don't want a speeding ticket. You don't want a whatever. Our, as a Christian, I don't obey so that I won't get caught. I obey the laws of the road so that others won't be caught up in an accident. Now, maybe they're driving against the law. Maybe they're driving impaired. But I pay attention to the rules of the road so that I might not cause another accident. And I might be able to help others avoid an accident. That's the nature of the Christian life. I first obey, not so that I can earn favor with God or not get caught. I obey so that the gospel can go forward, so that others won't be caught up in their sin, and that no one would ever be able to look at me as you often hear them say, that church is full of hypocrites. How, how terrible. Now, they'll have no excuse if they dropped into the pit of hell and stood before the great white throne judgment, they cannot say, but that preacher was a hypocrite, and somehow get off. They can't. But how sad that in this life, someone might not accept the gospel. Now, there's all kinds of reasons. But the one reason I don't want it to be is because of my disobedience, right? I don't want it to be that reason. So first judge yourself. And this compassion for the lost then leads us to pray for those who are around us, in particular for those in authority, right? First praise, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and the first few verses, I exhort therefore first of all the supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. First, pray. Pray for those in authority. Renew that prayer for some unsaved family member that you've been praying for. In this new year, don't let off on that prayer. Pray for them. Continue to pray for them. Keep that prayer always before you. Recommit to prayer for an unsaved friend or for those neighbors. Even that person you may not get along with at work. Keep that prayer always before you. Don't go back on, well, it hasn't worked yet, so I don't think it's going to be of any... No. First, pray. And Remember those who are given authority because, after all, all authority rises and falls on the blessing of God. 
Well, as the days and years go by, most of us will continue to pray for things that we want, things that we wish were different. Uh, we'll pray for people we like. We'll pray for things that aren't the way I want them to be, that they might be the way I wish they were so that our family could get, you know, whatever the reason, we're thinking of it in those terms for ourselves. But this priority has nothing to do with the latest political poll, and it has nothing to do with any personal preference of your own. If you haven't prayed for those in authority, and not just the authority you like, but if you haven't prayed for those in authority, and even a few people you may not like, then you're likely neglecting this first priority of prayer. As you consider all that has happened over the past year, you have to make it a priority to pray for the leaders of our world. And while you're at it, be sure to pray for the leaders of your church. And don't stop there because we're told to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians. Are there things you wish could be different? First pray. Are there things you wish you could accomplish in this new year? First pray. Are there things that you're, you're desiring for our church to do? First pray. And by the way, notice the side effects of prayer in verses, or in verse 2, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all honesty and godliness. Prayer prepares the heart and makes room for peace. For all that's wrong in the world and all the struggles we see in the world and even among family members, prayer makes room for peace. But none of this will amount to very much if you don't first give yourself to the Lord. Perhaps I'm preaching to the choir and everybody here understands the gospel and you've accepted it and you would say with great confidence, oh yes, I'm on my way to heaven, I understand. But even in that, first give yourself to the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'm at verse 5. And so in this context of people who were ministering to Paul, they were actually giving gifts. But they were ministering to Paul, and he says, This they did, not as we hoped or anticipated, or, or what could have been expected of them. But they first gave their own selves to the Lord, and then unto us by the will of God. This thing beyond hope or beyond what could be expected was their support of Paul in particular through their gifts. I suppose in some way we've come full circle because before you can give of your substance, those first verses we looked at, we have to first give ourselves to the Lord. When King Saul once tried offsetting his failure with a lavish sacrifice, he was told that to obey is better than sacrifice. You cannot offset the guilt of life by giving a little more in the offering plate. I appreciate it, and it helps, but it's not helping you. It's not helping you one little bit. And I'm convinced that if God's people will first give of themselves in obedience to God and his word, then all the needs of life will be met, and of our church in particular, in great abundance. A new year always presents new opportunities, maybe even a new challenge along the way to our faith that we did not expect. 
that if we don't first give ourselves to the Lord, then no amount of money, no amount of sacrifice, no amount of you name it, can buy our way out of trouble. No amount of talent, if you haven't given yourself first to the Lord, can honor God. No amount of effort can solve the challenges that we face. If we don't first give ourselves wholly to the Lord, God's work will not be supplied. God's work will not be provided. God's work in your life will be hindered. God's work in the lives of those around you will be stifled if we don't first give ourselves to him. But if we give ourselves first to the Lord, then my God will supply, Philippians 4, all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. As we move into the new year, we have to keep first things first. I've given you just a few. And all other things necessary to life and to our church and our family and our financial needs, they'll be met to the glory of God. And of course, why would we want anything that first did not come by the good hand of God? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Isaiah chapter 40. Lord Lawrence, a name you don't know, but I picked it out of history. He is enshrined at Westminster Abbey. Of course, on his tombstone is inscribed the date of his birth and death and that little hyphen in between that summarizes someone's life. But in the, 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 the inscription on his tombstone, these few words were added. He feared man so little because he feared God so much. By putting God first, nothing else can prevail against us. But time and circumstance has a way of removing God from first place in our life. It erodes the throne in our heart of God. And then if God is not first place in our life, every next thing we attempt in this new year is certain to fail and certain to fall short of God's glory and is certain to remain of little good to you or anyone else around you. If we want this new year to be for God's glory, for our good, and to accomplish his will in our life, then we must seek to accumulate things of eternal value. That next argument, that next job, that next paycheck, that next circumstance, look at it with eternity's value in view. Not just trying to win an argument, but to try to win a soul for the glory of God in this new year.